Okay, let's get this shit going before something else fucks up. <laughs> Yay. internet i'm annie i'm kit and i'm mac and this is i will fight you a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone cold facts since 1986 today's fact we had it and then we lost it because garzy's wing is a blight upon human memory <laughs> it's garzy's wing take two we tried to record this episode once before and our audio files came out completely fucking mangled which is probably for the best because none of us could actually remember what we were even talking about despite all having watched it like within the past three days of recording honestly that's kind of true of ever watching garcy's wing it just flies out of your fucking head i made a lot more notes this time but i don't think any of it's actually going to help me remember what the fuck i was looking at i made fewer notes this time literally i watched episode two and then afterward i tried to talk to these two about it and i couldn't i actually used uh the same notes document i did last time because if you will recall you guys not the audience uh my laptop died halfway through taking notes for the last time so i recorded these notes on my new laptop and continued where i left off garzy's wing is a three episode ova we can get into a little bit of history here in a bit before we get started proper to figure out what the fuck happened here i watched all three mac you actually watched all three this time right yeah i watched the first one because my ears are shitty the audio is badly mixed and there were no subtitles so we're gonna have to try to explain to you what happens in the other ones can you remember what happens in the other ones eh I know one thing for a fact about the other two, and that is that War Beast Army Corps is said at least 542 times. Ooh, you know, I think Gara beats that out with about 10,076. <laughs> so Garzi's Wing is like, in the right circles, it is notorious. But this is a series, like a three-episode OVA, so like a limited miniseries thing that ends on like a cliffhanger, sort of, don't worry about it, that was directed and written by Yoshiyuki Tomino, who is the guy who made fucking Gundam. Mobile suit freaking Gundam. Completely redefined giant robot anime. Like he had this really focus on realistic designs and serious stories. And then like, of course, they're like, please, 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 Mr. Tomino, please, please, Yoshiyuki, please make so many more things. Please print all the money. And then he made a couple of series for some years that were like, I'm going to be dark. In 1983, he makes this show called Aura Battler Dunbean, which I'm only talking about because it also takes place in a world called Beiston Well, which is where this one takes place. It's got, like, fantasy bug mecha. It looks kind of like Escaflone. It ran for 49 episodes. Now, 1996, which for those of you keeping score is 13 freaking years later, he's like, okay, remember that show I made? This Beiston Well shit? What if... I do something else in that universe, but I make it so far into the past of that universe that it doesn't actually matter and nothing I said had any point. And then we had Garzy's Wing. This is actually called Tales of Beiston Well, colon, Garzy's Wing. And this company called Central Park Media has a subdivision called U.S. Manga Corps in the wild west of the like mid to late 90s in the U.S. when it came to anime and manga. And they're like, I don't know. Bring it over. It doesn't matter. It's by the Gundam guy. That's that's probably fine. And they did exactly one pass on the translation. And then they decided, well, this literal translation is the script. Let's do it. All we need to do is run it through Alta Vista. So it's a whole bunch of literally translated Japanese. And I believe our original point had something to do with the fact that, like, when people want literal translations and not, like, localizations, this is what they would actually get. It's worth noting that Garzy's Wing is not good in Japanese either, though. Oh, God, no. It's a bad translation, sure. But also, this wasn't a good story before. This was a hot mess in any language. So this is our hero, a young man named Chris, who is going to his high school reunion, and he is so easygoing. We open on a shot of a cicada screaming, and then later we get a shot of the cicada, like, dead on the ground. Is the cicada a recurring motif, or no? No. I got a major metaphor here that would work perfectly. Hit us. Use your major. Later, the fact that it's a leap year comes super important because this is how they're going to defeat the uh, the army that they're fighting. The thing that I found out was by researching is that leap years are kind of considered liminal spaces because they're not totally there. 
all the time. And so they are often the realm of spirits. So this focusing on the cicada that's in the process of like dying right now is also kind of a liminal space because it's currently caught between life and death. So it's all a metaphor. Uh, okay. Can you expand that into three to five double space pages and turn it into me by Friday? Absolutely. I am an English major. That's easy. Chris has apparently failed the college entrance exam twice. And we know this because the girl he's hanging out with yells, you've already failed the college entrance exam twice. Like this girl does not do anything that is not angry shouting, which you'll notice is a pattern. <laughs> it's like VO speed running in this. Yeah, they're not concerned about lip flap in the slightest here. They are just trying to get these words out as fast as they can. Every line is a paragraph long. It is a race to the finish. It is a sprint. Anyway, Chris yells, I will come back after I attend the class reunion pool party tomorrow. And then he leaves. As the girl yells after him, oh, you're so easygoing. I'm basically reciting this part line for line because it is one of the parts of this that actually does stick in my memory just because it, it hits you so hard when you first start watching this. I mean, the fact that the YouTube video is titled Dub for Extra Hilarity should have given me some advance warning, but... This gets posted on YouTube, like, all the time, but it always says English dub in, like, parentheses, as though there is any other edition of Garzy's Wing that deserves to exist on this earth. People will post it and be like, English dub or hilarious dub, and it sounds kind of like they meant for it to be hilarious, but the thing is, this isn't ghost stories. This isn't a shitty anime that was ported over, and then they were just like, well, this is awful, we're just gonna write a new thing that's actually funny and then dub over it. This is not that. They used Alta Vista for direct translation, and it's hilarious because they did that. Yeah, this isn't even a wacky fan dub where Escaflone is now about coffee grinds. This is wholesale, we did this straight as possible. This is all dead serious. Speaking of dead serious, Chris is driving on his motorcycle in the middle of the night, sees a shrine, and then the camera cuts to the shrine with a caption that says, in all caps, THE SHRINE. He's like, oh, that must be the Shiratori shrine, and apparently these are the magic frickin' words. Because at this point, a big white goose appears? Didn't you figure out how come it was a goose? Yeah, okay, so get this. One thing that we are going to hear a lot, and it is going to be very awkward, is Chris shouting about someone named Yamato Takeru no Mikoto. Yamato Takeru was like, from what I have done the most bare bones research on, one of those sort of Shinto figures that is definitely a real person, but also a whole lot of legend sprung up around this guy. He is someone who was kind of a legendary hero, died and was buried in a temple where as soon as he died, a white bird, which is what Shiratori literally translates to, flew out basically of his body Sometimes it's three birds, lands, and that's where they, like, entomb him or build a shrine, one of the two. I don't quite remember. Everything about Garzi's wing just sort of makes everything else in this world fuzzy. But there is actually some kind of logic to why a giant white goose flies up through Chris, makes him naked, and then flies him through the heavens. I, <laughs> I can't explain anything after that, but there's at least some kind of reason for a big white bird. The bird, like, flies through Chris's body, and Chris's body stays there. But a second naked Chris appears within the body of the goose, swan, whatever it is, and then starts screaming, Hey, Chris, come back, because Chris constantly refers to himself as Chris. <laughs> <laughs> At no point does Chris have any problem with the fact that he now has two bodies. Of all the things for him to accept. At this point, Chris starts talking to a ghost. Show me the ancient Japanese man's spirit, says nobody. What the hey, who are you, a ghost? So he starts talking to this disembodied voice that's incredibly deep and will never show up again or explain itself. Nope, doesn't even show up episode two or three. Then he just sort of gets transported down some kind of like Alice in Wonderland tunnel. And there's a whole bunch of ladies in the tunnel. I think we missed the line, why do you think this is the work of a ghost? And I don't want to. <laughs> right, we get into some metaphysical stuff for about five seconds. Because Chris can hear the narrator. Is this the narrator? I don't know. Is this Yamato Takeru no Mikoto? I don't know. The Wikipedia article certainly seems to think so. BT Dubs, the Wikipedia article, is... Ah, chef kiss. It is very aware of some of the best things in Garzy's wing. The last sentence of Chris's biography is, he is easygoing and his sword is unbelievably dull. <laughs> they did the best they could to just 
add in as many lines from the English dub as they possibly could. It is a very good Wikipedia page. So Chris has this necklace. It's almost like a choker. It's definitely the kind of thing that any other dude would have a shark tooth on it, except this one has eight tiny little bells. It's important. Don't worry about it. We don't know why. Anyway, it snags a little fairy girl. Yeah, so now there's two people, like, yelling incomprehensibly. Because now the little fairy girl is upset she's been snagged by a necklace. And then this tunnel ends, and now he's in midair, and he flies down into a battlefield with monsters while his feet have sprung wings like Hermes, and he is still very naked. And you might be wondering, uh, how do they handle the whole issue of his junk? And the answer is they don't. He tucks. They Ken dolled him. Don't worry about it. At this point in my notes, it says, I can't keep quoting all the amazing lines in this. My notes will just be a transcript of the episode. Oh, parts of my notes are just straight up transcripts. But the next like a solid three minutes is like a lot of rapid fire exposition that is frantically being matched to lip flaps. It's like we've just been dumped at the tutorial of a very, very serious RPG that mm, just wants to get everything out right now. It's like when the video game starts in Medias Res and you don't know all the controls and you're in the middle of this big terrifying battle. That's what Chris is doing right now. Also, you're the RPG protagonist with amnesia, so everybody needs to explain everything to you. And instead of giving you a codex entry, they explain everything to you. So the gist here is that it's in the middle of the night and there's a tribe of people who have been enslaved and they are now staging a rebellion and escaping. And also there's a dinosaur here. Yeah, just even dinosaurs are here. At one point, one of them yells, oh my gosh, that's skill. And I think they're talking about Chris, but he's not doing anything that's skilled. They call him the holy warrior while he like hits some dudes with a stick. And then he makes the startling thing that comes up maybe twice, but is never actually explained, which is what? It's like they're using a different kind of language, but I can communicate with them through my mind. Yeah, Chris is apparently telepathic or everyone is. It's not clear. But they're also moving their mouths. So... Anyway, at one point, Chris screams, Oh my god, this is a real war! Some lady with some tiny children with, like, palette swap hair comes up. She's some kind of priestess. There's a blonde lady who is not the priestess, but looks exactly like her. Yeah, she's got a mullet, um, so we can maybe go with that one. She asks if Chris is some kind of lecher. Because he's naked. And then we get into some, like, intense hyperviolence. Like, people come apart like a rag doll. Their blood pressure is so high. It's like a Tarantino movie. It's like 300 up in here. Chris gets handed a sword, at which point he shouts, This is heavier than a damn Japanese sword. Which is... I guess that's a thing. Do you think Tomino is like the Japanese version of a weeaboo where he's like really into European stuff? Um, I'd say that tracks. I think he's someone who's really into like realism and not just like science fiction realism, like realism, because we're talking about sword weights. Keep in mind, this is Yoshiyuki Tomino, who created a mecha anime where the whole point about why the main character could actually like pilot the robot was because he was the only one that read the manual. Oh my fucking god. (laughs) I want to jump back into Garcy's wing here to remind you that we have had a whole lot happen. And, oh, what's that on the time code? It's been five minutes. <laughs> it's a lot. Garcy's wing doesn't understand pacing. It doesn't understand a lot of things, honestly, but pacing is one of them. You know when an anime just kind of meanders for a really long time without going anywhere? Garcy's wing has the opposite problem. <laughs> it's like they blew the whole budget on the first episode of the OVA, so everything else just kind of crawls. You know how when you're writing a fanfic and you're really excited to get to the part that, like, you actually want to write, but you have a whole bunch of crap to wade through first? What if you just did that part first, the part you liked? We cut briefly to, like, the guy who I guess owned all of the slaves in his palace as he is eating and yelling at the underling who is telling him about the rebellion. And at one point he pauses mid-sentence to put a hat on and then continues yelling. And it's important to note that I don't think we ever see him in this outfit again. (laughs) So he needed to put this floppy little hat on for this one scene 
scene like an actor that forgot what he was supposed to do. Anyway, the only thing I really picked up from this, because there was a lot of yelling and no subtitles, is that it's a leap year. So the escaping tribe thinks they can win if they declare war under a tree. Yeah, that happens the second time we cut back to this dude where he interrupts a sentence to eat like a turkey leg. Right, okay. Which, mood. At some point after these slaves escape, I think, or at the very least, we're done looking at them have a whole bunch of hyperviolence in the dark with a dinosaur. This guy in gold armor comes up. He has the exact same haircut as most of the other characters in this whole thing. I never catch his name ever in any of the times that I've watched this. Mac, do you have any idea what this dude's name is? I didn't realize he had a name. I basically call him the Roman guy in all my notes. Awesome. So he's got gold armor. That's the only way we're going to be able to identify him. And he's like, please forgive my rudeness. I've been troubled by this incident. That's when the dude with the hat is like, they think if they declare war under the great Barajou tree, they can win. No one is ever going to explain this. No one's ever going to tell us what the Barajou tree is, except that we see a big tree sometimes in the background. You forgot a step of this, Annie. Oh, God. During the leap year, if they declare war under the great Barajou tree, they can win. Right, of course. And in between those two conversations, there's a sequence where a bunch of pterodactyls drop napalm on people running through a swamp. You'd think that would be notable. And yet. There's also like combat unicorns. And like guys on the combat unicorns yelling, whoa, whoa, don't go this way. Don't take the beasts into the swamp. And then a dinosaur falls over because apparently it's allergic to swamps. I don't know. Yeah. So we cut back to the Matomius tribe. Are, are these people. We cut back to the Matomius tribe as they are trying to wander through a swamp where they get attacked by giant bugs. The pterodactyls apparently hit an invisible wall when they get too close to the river. Yeah, they keep talking about how, like, the pterodactyls can't fly over the swamp. Why? We just don't know. And then there's killer catfish. And again, like killer catfish, I have exactly one line about this, and I have way more lines about everything else in this thing. <laughs> there, there are just fight scenes that don't matter. At some point I wrote down, and it's in quote marks, so I assume somebody says it, I wrote down, no horses allowed past this point. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a line of dialogue. I don't remember where it is. So no horses, no dinosaurs, swamp only, final destination. With giant swamp spiders. Because why not? Why not have swamp spiders, kids? I regret nothing, Annie. <sighs> it was an establishing character moment, Annie. <laughs> Anyway, after they kill the giant swamp spiders, Chris accidentally bumps the fairy girl with his sword, I think? Yeah, which he's like, I'm sorry, but the sword is not sharp at all, you see. <laughs> which is a hell of a way to apologize for, like, hitting someone with a blunt instrument. At some point, the fairy girl also starts lamenting that she was taken away from her family and friends in the fairy world. And Chris is like, I could also have attended my high school class reunion. It's the same thing. Why wouldn't it be the same thing? I think I would rather get attacked by swamp spiders than go to my high school class reunion. <laughs> Not even if it was a pool party. Especially if it was a pool party. What if it was a pool party where nobody actually went in the pool? They just hung around like one dude who was like passing out periodically. That'd be an amazing pool party. Especially I would like it if this one dude would just like randomly look at people and say, you sure got sexy. Oh man, we will get to that one. Anyway, I think they reach the river at this point and Chris like agrees to help push a raft. And then the camera pans down to his ankles and stays there for like a second too long. And I don't know what that shot is trying to communicate. Okay, okay. So I did watch this again with John last night because I needed emotional support. <laughs> By the way, let me tell you, watch Garzy's wing with a buddy. Use the buddy system. It makes it much better. Hold hands the entire time. You're going to need it. It makes it less existentially bleak. John suggested that it pans down and holds on his ankles because he does not at this point have the Garzy's wings. So I guess it's something about that. This is all taking into faith that this is a good movie. Anyway, now there's rafting shenanigans, and my favorite part of this is the background rafting yelling because it is so half-hearted. Whoa! Whoa! Ah! Ah! Ooh! Ah! 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 It's great. We just did that better than everyone that recorded that. Listen, it was the end of the session. They weren't getting paid very much. They couldn't bring themselves to care. We like cut back for five seconds to real world Chris, who has gotten to his grandma's house. Maybe it's a shrine. 
Is his grandma a priestess? What's really fun is that the transition is marked by Chris yelling in his own head, I hear myself calling to me. And then it cuts to Chris just kind of pulling in at his house on a motorcycle. Yeah, he's not calling to himself. He's like, ha, I'm home. Also, his little ceramic bell necklace has mysteriously vanished, but don't worry about that. His mom's got like five in the gift shop. Yeah, his grandma is apparently like big into this stuff and she like gets him a new one like immediately. And also his mom points out his new completely invisible bruises. Yeah, we will eventually see bruises on Chris. They will look like he is glowing purple in small spots on his body. But for now, nothing. Meanwhile, back at the fantasy world, we have more, more, more explanations. Oh, God. None of it actually explains anything. Chris has the revelation that he is really here in this world, even though he is also back in his world. And the way he expresses this dread about this of if you die in the game, you die in real life. It is... That means if I act like I was in my world, I may die immediately. And then we cut back to other Chris napping and then waking up because he got the new bell necklace off screen and it's singing at him or something. I don't fucking know. Yeah, because his bells start like jingle jangling on his necklace. And now we have what is maybe the best scene in the whole OVA. My notes for this are pretty much all verbatim. The density of incredible lines in here. Chris just sort of shouts to himself. I can't tell if this is before or after, but I do have the line here, I can't be a macho man like them. Oh, that's before. And right before that too is, he is a holy warrior who defends our people. And Chris replies, what? Oh, he's incredible. He really is. But yeah, 12th and 13th century foreigners surround me. My sword is unbelievably dull. Because we can communicate, because of through these bells, it might lead to a way to get back through the bells. Can you find a way to get back through here? Even dinosaurs are here. I have been bruised all over my body because I had to fight naked. I must make sense of our convoluted situation. I have to strengthen my mind. I must do chi, spiritual unification. I'm being chased by a real army. I know, I will do that here. But really, how do I deal with this then <laughs> <laughs> then real world chris yells at bison well chris that he's got to do like this kendo technique and then proceeds to do a screaming kendo attack across the room which i don't think he ever actually does you think that this would be a thing like oh wow we're gonna see this and he's gonna practice it and then it's gonna be the key to defeating the bad guy it's not oh god that entire scene is just so much it is so good we switch back to bison well and the blonde woman whose name is like Leland's or something. The girl with the mullet is like yelling like she's accusing him. Is there another you in your world, Lord Chris? What? How? Why? What? Oh, we can't dwell on that because now real world Chris is just listing out the encyclopedia page for how to make gunpowder. <laughs> Beist and well, Chris is like, are you just reading the encyclopedia? And then it cuts to real world Chris, who is in fact reading the encyclopedia. And then shouts that it is vitally important to use all the things in nature. Like this is how he's going to solve this. He's basically just going to try and like time travel this by telling him how to make things, despite the fact that like this dude hasn't even gone to college. He is a high school diploma. And also Byston Welkers at one point screams, I believe, it's not like there's a pharmacy I can go to. Yeah, because he's just yelling out like the ingredients for gunpowder, like sulfur, like Actually, no, I take that back. He's not reading out the ingredients for gunpowder. He's basically reading from the periodic table of elements for things that make gunpowder eventually. But he's interrupted because his grandma made hot noodles. And he burns his mouth so fucking badly and then yells, Grandma, why did you make hot noodles on such a hot day? And I don't know why that line is there. Every other line in this is like really dedicated to conveying something. <laughs> Whether it's useful or not, I don't know. But this line is just kind of, it's small talk. And in a show this crowded, I don't know why it's here. We will occasionally see the characters of Chris's mom and Chris's grandma. Chris's mom, I think, is maybe like American or something. Yeah, because he always travels to America with her. Yeah, Chris is half Japanese, half American. And his mom, like, wears a robe with the right side crossed over the left. I don't know if this means something. Again, I don't know how much credit to give this. <laughs> Carsey swing. So Chris announces maybe one of the biggest lies that I've ever heard, which is, I'm going to the class reunion at the community pool. I think it will be good for my present mental condition. And then later on, he's like, I have no choice. I must go to my high school class reunion. Which is more accurate, really. <laughs> 
more honest. So while Chris is dealing with the trials and tribulations of a high school class reunion at the community pool. Oh, we go back to Bison Well. Where they're going through the woods and they're tying injured people to trees as decoys, presumably to be inevitably murdered by the soldiers that are chasing after them. Which is so freaking grim and we never touch on it. And the people being tied to the trees are just like, yeah, we're gonna do this. This isn't a horse with a broken leg. This this is a person, actually. Yeah, that's that's a people. That's a people you're leaving to die. Are they bleeding out? No, they seem fine, actually. One of them had a rock in his shoe. He's just gotta go. He tripped, that's it. Only the strong survive social Darwinism or something. And then they give Chris, a guy with incredibly bad coordination, a bunch of powder that explodes when you drop it. Just on impact, it explodes. What is this? It's the gunpowder, apparently, that other Chris was saying he should make. No, kid, it's Gara. They will say Gara all the time. So we have this quiet moment where the characters proceed to uh, set up an ambush. They split the party. They try to prepare in a cave for the cavalry that's pursuing them. And we also have a conversation between Chris and the little fairy where she says, then perhaps we should go live somewhere together, my friend. If you had a convenience store, I would live with you. He says this and the fairy's like, what? That's right. You don't know what a convenience store is. And then he's like, but I know there are no vending machines here either. And she's still like, what? And the audience is like, what? And uh, Chris is like, whatever. Let's get in the cave. Then we get into some real freaking body horror. Oh, God. So Chris has the bright idea to try to attach this gara powder to his arrow. He tries to use saliva. It doesn't really work. And the fairy's like, I have a solution. And then she's like, look, my wing roots are oily. <laughs> you know how there are some things you never actually want to see? Like, you don't actually want to think about, like, certain things about, like, real fairy tale creature physiology. This shot is what I see when I close my eyes. <laughs> Every single time I close my eyes, I see this shot of her freaking wing roots. There's like some exposed spine there. It's horrible. It's as horrifying as you would think it would be to see insect wings emerging from the back of a human woman. It is unheimlich. It's terrible. But he's like, oh, okay, cool. And sticks his arrow back there. And coats it with the sticky oil stuff and then uses that to stick gunpowder to his arrow. Was it worth it? I don't think it was. Because for one thing, he fires an arrow at the entrance and then that sets off the gunpowder trap they have already set there. And there's a gigantic cave in and he gets blasted back like 10 feet. Unfortunately, he does not die. No, he still lives. So the rest of this episode is a big fight in a cave. It's dark. Roman man shows up in a horse. It's hyper-violent. Chris and the guy in the gold armor fight. They had one shot of Chris dodging a halberd a whole bunch, and they were going to get everything they could out of it because they play it several times. Oh, yeah, they do. There's a bit where the guys riding on the horses above the cave, like on sort of the surface level, like get caught in another gunpowder trap. And as they're falling, they yell, what's happening? Ah. Yeah, it is straight up the letter A several times. At some point, Chris summons Garzi's wing and flies and fights. His sword breaks. Because it's unbelievably dull. I can't believe it's not sharp. I do love the dumb little flutter the wings do when they disappear. Yeah, that is lovingly animated. And Nothing else. <laughs> I don't know. Those wing roots. Uh, don't remind me. So this fight happens for like 10 freaking minutes of this 30 minute episode. It's so long. It's so long. The gold guy is defeated. The Maitomius tribe escapes. The gold guy emerges from the rubble and is like, uh, Hassan, who's the priestess lady, summoned Garzi's wing and I hate her so much. And then he pauses for breath, looks up at the heavens and shouts, that woman! <laughs> You cannot convince me that those two lines were not two separate sessions. Like, they just told him to shout that woman. Was there a voice director on this project at all? I'm leaning towards no. Anyway, we have our denouement, such as it is. Chris gets a sharper sword and he's like, but I want to go home. And then he raises his sword and screams for like no reason. And that's the end of the episode. Then we get our ending theme, which is just one long pan of a whole bunch of people walking to what we assume is the Baraju tree. All right, Mac, are you ready to try and tag in on this shit? Mac, are you not ready? Sorry about that. I was dealing with sudden cat vomit. <laughs>
Are we about to start episode two? Yeah, are you ready to tag in on this? Relatively speaking, because I should note that my I have five notes on episode two. I actually have six notes. And while the first five are me randomly quoting things, the sixth one is I can't remember what just happened. Episode one is the episode that most people remember. Episode one is the part where everything actually happens. And as Kid has put it, it happens so much. Everything happens so much. Episodes two and three, nothing happens. A lot of nothing happens. Do you know whenever you're reading like a fantasy book and it starts with the prologue and the prologue tells you about 45 vocabulary words like in the land of Western Minister, there are the golden perjuries, which are the actual known people who control the magic known as the ethereal ekensile magic. And it goes on like that for like the next five pages and then just expects you to kind of know everything. Yeah, I've read Aragon. Yeah, yeah. That's episode two and three. <laughs> Yeah, I started writing down some of... Because, like, Kit, you wouldn't have stood a chance at all on this one. (laughs) Because they just start saying nonsense words. Here's some of them that get strung together in rapid succession. Gabajojo, Gabajuju, Daragarol, Ishubara, Yashigaba. Yeah, I would have been convinced I was having a stroke. (laughs) Also, because they put, like, all their budget on episode one, episodes two and three are mostly like, hey, we're in a wagon going to the Barajaru tree. Uh, We're going to be in this wagon for the next 15 scenes. In my notes, I had made this Kulk the wagon and forded across the river joke about like that bit with the rafts in episode one. But then it just straight up says, no, 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 we're doing that, though. We are now the Oregon Trail. The weird thing also is that like episode two out of all three of these episodes, episode two has a bunch of like physical comedy Chris falls off a horse. Chris lands badly and is embarrassed. Like, you can tell that there are jokes that are meant to be made here. But it's so dissonant from all of the hyperviolence that is yet present in all three of these episodes. It takes itself so seriously, but also it tries to make, like, jokey jokes. Are we sure Joss Whedon didn't write this? (laughs) Um, no, because none of the female characters are, like pixie-ish enough. Yeah, true. Not enough spin kicks. Wait, what about the Filarial who follows Chris around? Her boobs are too big. Oh, that's true. Fair, 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 fair. Hey guys, f*** Joss Whedon. (laughs) (laughs) I believe we said this during the last episode as well, but f*** Joss Whedon. Now, last episode, there was a whole lot of plot about, like, escaping, about making it through the swamp, about, like, making sense of our convoluted situations. This one has some kind of subplot about clay. As in the stuff that you make pottery out of? As in the stuff that you specifically make bells out of. Earthenware bells. Uh, They can't say the word ceramic. I don't know why. uh Uh-huh. Also, they find out about drugs. Uh, What? (laughs) The drugs are used to calm down the dinosaurs that are part of the uh, War Beast Army Corps. But it turns out that if humans do them, they are basically like opium. If you taste it or smoke it, you get happy and do crazy things. Uh Uh-huh. So, subplot about bells. Chris learns to ride a horse. He's bad at it. Meanwhile, Chris actually finally, finally, finally attends the high school reunion at the community pool. Oh my god, I need to know how that goes. Well, (laughs) he arrives at the pool party and starts to tell himself about new ways to use gunpowder when some of his classmates finally get back out of the pool and they're like, Hi, Chris. It's good to see you. And he replies, You sure got sexy. Is this directed at anyone in particular or all the classmates? It's a lady uh, who just climbed out of the pool and was like, Well, Chris, hello. Yeah, that's how he greets her. Oh my god. Also, how old is this guy where he's attending a class reunion? If he's failed college entrance exams, I think those are done like annually maybe. So he's probably like 20. So it's the two-year class reunion? I guess so. How needy is this graduating class that they feel they need to have a reunion after two years? Nobody will have accomplished shit after two years. Well, they accomplished getting sexy. Oh, God. Bison Will Chris, like, says in his own head, What? Everybody's being more open with you? (laughs) What? I don't know what to tell you. Then his necklace starts jiggling and we go back to Bison Well, where, like... They made some bells and they talk about fuses and then they say the word Gara like every 45 seconds. Okay. I think he starts showing up bruises back at the pool party and people are like, what's up with that? And he's like, eh. This is the glowing purple bruises you mentioned? Yes. So he just looks like he has space pox. At some point, there's a fight scene with monsters. In Bison Well or at the pool? In, in Bison Well, obviously. We can't have cool things happen at the pool. So there's a fight scene. 
with like i don't know it's like some kind of like amphibious flying lizard what do you remember this thing mac vaguely i have a vague impression of like maybe wings but those might be like big sacks or something i remember big sacks and i remember like chris was pulled into the air and then dropped and there's some screaming oh okay i do know something that happens at some point at some point this thing like sprouts a whole bunch of heads the amphibious thingy does yes it sprouts several heads i I think it's a hydra sort of thing maybe i don't know i wrote down a line here where Chris is running from this thing and he shouts, There is a nine dragon lake in Hakusan Mountain. Why can't you do something for us, Mr. Yamato Takaru no Mikoto? What? And then there's a line that John caught here. He is talking about being half Japanese. He shouts, I'm just half. I cannot act like an ancient Japanese man. Oh God, ah, you bastards! <laughs> what? Yeah, this is how fight dialogue happens. Take notes. So the gold guy is also here, I think. Gold guy is here alongside Mr. Beefy and too many lines on his face. Which, which one is that? Don't have any other way to describe him. I don't know his name. I think that's the guy on the horse who is yelling, what's happening? Ah. Are you sure? There's a lot of those. There's a lot of guys on horses with too many lines. I remember he talks to him and then they separate and then one of them goes, uh, I can't believe this is happening and I'll go deal with it myself. Is this the one that takes over for the gold guy when the gold guy stops showing up? Yes. Okay. And they have the exact same haircut? Yes. So he's gold guy, but silver, so he's completely indistinguishable from everyone else. Where does gold guy go? No idea. This guy wanders off. He just, like, leaves. The other guy's like, I'll take over. And he's like, yeah. And then he leaves. So it's like that bit in Jupiter Ascending where, like, the dragon man is killed and then replaced by an identical dragon man. Yes, except this one looks more generic. Okay. So imagine if the dragon guy was killed and got replaced with, like, I don't know, a bureaucracy robot. That would have been cool. So the gold guy, while he's here, tries to, like, take Hassan the priestess because she's that woman and there's a fight. Chris uses Garzy's wing because the guy's on, like, a pterodactyl. Warby Starmy Corps! There's some dude in a big pink cloak that will show up for like five seconds periodically who i think actually has a line somewhere i think he does too but i can't remember what he said i want to say like it was somebody who like clapped his hand over his mouth because the guy's wearing like a a mask over his nose and mouth so they're like no i'm fine i i just have to go over here now and then he jumps away he doesn't do anything. Don't worry about it. Okay. But they keep trying to make a big deal of him, but he just sort of leaps around in the background. I have a line here. He is Zabuzo, a war profiteer. He is like a slimy serpent. I don't know what that means. War profiteer? Does that mean mercenary? I don't know. At some point, it is asked whether or not he hangs out with monkeys. What? Don't worry about it. Okay. Back to the pool party. Oh, God. I actually forgot that was happening. The girlfriend from the beginning, Rumiko, is here in a yellow bikini. And then, like, someone else at the pool party looks down at Chris. Because at this point, no one's actually in the pool. Chris is sitting at a little table uh, with an umbrella. And everyone else is just crowded around him trying to tell him about, like, gunpowder and the Industrial Revolution. (laughs) So they found out that he's having visions of his alternate self in another world, like, off screen. And they accepted this? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yes, in fact, here is a line. Oh, God. Your necklace is jumping, my friend. The story of the mind and body separation must therefore be true. (laughs) What? I hope you guys put this much faith in me if suddenly my mind and soul separates. I mean, I would not be surprised. It would be very on brand for you. I feel like the best thing to do in that situation is to just treat it as though what you're saying is true and just sort of headology that shit. (laughs) I hope one of you knows a lot about the Industrial Revolution. Uh, uh, No, I got nothing for (laughs) you. Sorry. Yeah. Do you want, like, an absurd amount of information about children's programs from the 1950s? Because that's what I got. I can tell myself all about how much I hate James Joyce. Uh, I got some jingles for you. I don't know if they'll be useful. Annie? Yeah? We don't do sponsorships on this show. (laughs) We certainly don't do unpaid sponsorships on this show. We don't do sponsorships on this show, and that has nothing to do with the fact that nobody's asked to do a sponsorship on this show. Okay. So Chris in Bistonwell has a new mission from all of his friends back at the pool party. He is going to try to teach these Iron Age people how to make a gun. What? We're not talking about, you know, like any kind of basic firearm. We're talking about something that requires making screws. What? 
We're starting with screws and we're working our way up to what I assume is like a freaking Glock. He's just telling them how to make a Glock? No, he's telling them how to make screws. Keep up. (laughs) Why not just make the diamond cannon from that episode of Star Trek? Anyway, they go to a canyon and the ferry here. I have a line here, and I remember she is shaking a man's thumb as if with an agreement. This is not Chris. This is some other bearded dude. And she says, you make a promise now that if you are lying, you shall have to swallow a thousand needles. What? I think she's going to start scouting ahead to see enemy movements. Maybe. But also... You have to swallow a thousand needles. Okay. At some point, we make a quick jaunt back to the real world where they have left the pool. Chris is sick and his friends call a taxi. And then we jump back and there's another really long fight scene. And Garzy's wing doesn't appear. And then we end the episode on a cliffhanger. Because Chris has thrown off his horse and everybody's panicking. And they're like, no, Garzy's wing isn't here. And then we, it ends episode two. So that's episode two. That's all episode two? Yeah. Oh my God. The thing is that it sounds like a lot of stuff happened, but actually nothing happened. How are you feeling? Not great. Let's just check in before we start episode three. How's everybody feeling? Uh, deeply confused guys we got to power through this we got to do this and then we don't have to talk about garzy's wing ever again the good news about this is that once we're done talking about this garzy's wing will wipe itself from our minds and we won't have to think about it anymore if possible i remember less about episode three than i do about episode two great me too so i remembered a new thing from episode three that i had never remembered on any previous attempt what's that the word reconnoiter what now reconnoiter is in fact a real word it is however There are many other short words you could use instead of reconnoiter. Scout. Instead, the fairy arrives back to the dude that has asked her because, like, I guess the fight scene is over and they they withdrew. And she says, see, I reconnoitered. And she hands him a very small map. When you say a very small map. It is a fairy-sized map. This is like postage stamp? Yes. Oh my god. That's actually kind of cute. It is. Unfortunately, it's done by the character that has those wings. Don't, don't remind me. I, I'd forgotten. <sighs> so she reconnoiters. She says reconnoiter at least twice more. Again, they weren't worried about lip flap here. They weren't worried about anything. So I, I, I am stuck on why reconnoiter? It's what came out of Alta Vista and they never changed it. There was exactly one pass on this script. We keep cutting back to the real world where Chris is like sick and in bed. And now the girlfriend is like spending the night, I guess. Does it ever explain why she went to his high school reunion? Because it sounded like it wasn't also her high school reunion. No, I don't think it was. She called Chris easygoing. Maybe that's a fight. Maybe they had a fight. What matters is that Chris is sick and she's at his house now. She's kneeling there. Grandma shows up and Grandma goes, he used to get fevers all the time, especially right after he'd get back from his trips to America with his mother. That line doesn't matter. (laughs) This grandma character is full of lines that don't actually matter. Does she say a single thing that matters? Uh, I guess she explains away when he gets his necklace back, which I strongly suspect may just be an animation error. So we go back to Bison Well. The fairy has reconnoitered. There's a huge fight scene, and I have this thought here that I am currently watching a fight scene between unicorn-mounted warriors fighting with explosives against armored dinosaurs, and I'm bored. <laughs> This whole fight happens like three times. Unicorns versus dinosaurs with explosions. And I'm bored out of my mind. (laughs) That says something. That's almost an achievement. I keep forgetting that there's a unicorn fight versus armored dinosaurs. This isn't significant enough to stick in the memory. This fight scene happens. I have a line here where apparently they use reconnoiter again. (laughs) I guess that's the only thing I could really focus on. We go back to the real world. It's the middle of the night and the girlfriend is like, to her unconscious boyfriend, use my power and energy all you want. That's what it's there for. What? Chris wakes up and he's like, the other Chris is taking all of my energy. What? So the girlfriend's like, take my energy. What? Maybe this is some of the chi exercises that he was talking about earlier. Also, bad relationship yeah no this is a toxic relationship these people are bad for each other your significant other isn't supposed to drain all your energy like metaphorically or literally also your energy isn't there to be drained by another person it's there for you to use yes so i have a note that says hassan uses telepathy for no reason (laughs) 
I think we're still in a fight scene. I couldn't tell you for sure. I think we're still in that canyon, actually. I have another note here that says Chris teaches people about trampolines. How so? He jumps on a trampoline that he makes. He makes a trampoline. Or it is already there and it's part of like, I don't know, a drum or something. And somehow that can hold a human body. Like a cartoon. Uh-huh. And at this point, I stopped using bullet points altogether and most of my notes are in all caps. Mackenzie, do you remember the part where the blonde girl with the mullet goes inverted colors? I don't. <laughs> You don't. Nothing, huh? No, I don't got anything. Because what happens when she goes inverted colors in the middle of some kind of fight, I guess, is she's like, oh, I shouldn't be jealous of Chris and Hassan. What? Yeah, she gets over her jealousy that she had. She had that, I guess. My next note is, no, they are joining with the War Beast Corps again. I don't have that one. I don't know when that is. I don't know what it is either, but that's my next note. You guys! What do you want from us? This is Garzy's wing. You guys are just like shouting nonsense phrases at each other that you don't recognize. That is Garzy's wing! This is the authentic Garzy's wing experience! It is! Okay. I do have a note here that says Chris stands in front of a dinosaur and screams. Maybe that's part of your thing? Maybe. That sounds like it's part of my thing. What the fuck, you guys? I mean, that's, that's Garzy's wing kit! If you watched this, it wouldn't make any more sense. You could have watched this and it would make just as much sense to you as it does to us. You could have watched it without any lines. You could have watched this on mute and it still wouldn't have made any sense. So Chris's sword breaks again and then he also summons Garzy's wing. I don't know if these two things are related. Maybe he can only summon it when the sword breaks because it broke last time. The blonde girl is like, here, Chris, use my sword. And she throws her sword up at him, which he completely ignores and it just falls to the ground. <laughs> At some point, he shouts again, Damn you, Yamato Takaru no Mikoto. Why? I don't know what Yamato Takaru no Mikoto has to do with anything. Except that white bird. That was all I had. That was the entire sum of my explanation for that. Maybe he was the ghost. So Chris in the real world is like very weak or something. The girlfriend and Hassan and the blonde girl are all like, please, God, save him. Because I think he's doing something very dangerous at this point. Uh, the dinosaur he was standing in front of and screaming at dies. I think maybe the other dude dies with him. The one that replaced the gold guy. I think so. And then we have this scene where there's somebody dying on the ground and they're like, okay, Chris, you gotta kill him. He's got a broken leg and Chris is like, but this is so inhumane. And they're like, well, it's more humane that he dies and be in pain. What? Like, you gotta kill him. You gotta, like, stab him right through the neck so he dies. I think there's probably also, like, a lot of internal hemorrhaging here. I mean, this is Garzy's wing. People are just full of, like, high-pressure blood. Is this, like, an enemy guy or an allied guy, or do we know? Ally guy, I think. I thought it was an enemy guy. Oh, God. I thought it was an ally guy. I don't know. He's somebody. Chris has to stab him, I guess. And out of all the hyperviolence in this whole thing, now he's like, I could never kill someone. What? <laughs> killing people he's very upset about it but he doesn't he stabs him through like the neck or whatever and then he goes off and he vomits okay i think it's also implied that if he doesn't stab this guy he loses the power of garzy's wing for some reason what i don't know look here's some words of wisdom that an old man says what humans are just human they come into this life filled with dreams and aspirations. They want it all, and they try to use the power of the universe, the earth, and the spirits. What? Get that cross-stitched and put it up on a wall. Just some wise words to turn to whenever you're in times of trouble. So they decide they're going to keep looking for the Baraju tree because they still haven't found it. They still haven't declared war. So they still haven't gotten to, like, their first goal. Oh my god. But by gum, they're going to do it. Okay. So this is the part that I remember very clearly. Mac, you remember this part too? No. <laughs> Mackenzie, I'm gonna talk and you're gonna remember it and you're gonna feel foolish. Probably, yes. So we go back to the real world. Chris is fine, I guess. Um, He's fine, kid. Don't worry about it. He's still also in Biston Well. He's, both Chris's are fine. I guess he got all the energy he needed or whatever. It's the next morning, Chris and his girlfriend get on his motorcycle. And I think they're driving back to Tokyo or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. There you yeah. go. You feeling foolish? No, I'm not feeling foolish, really, I'll be honest with you. I'm feeling like this is the Garzy's Wing experience. Well, that's fair. So Chris and his girlfriend get on his motorcycle. They get on the highway. And Chris's girlfriend looks over and she says... 
is that the Varju tree? What? Yep. And lo and behold, Chris looks over and he says, oh yeah, it is. And there's a giant Varju tree there. What? <laughs> Towering above everything, stretching up to the heavens is the Baraju tree. What? And as Chris says, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> Wings start sprouting, and then the motorcycle just flies up into the air. Yep. What? <laughs> the motorcycle just voop, and then it starts flying up into the air, and the ending theme plays. Credits roll. What? The end of Garzy's Wing. What? Is that the Baraju tree? Oh yeah. <laughs> what? The end. The end. That's Garzy's wing kit. That's it. That's all that exists of Garzy's wing. Don't worry, you'll forget it all tomorrow. Okay, let's never talk about it again. Yes, that's good. You know that video essay Lindsay Ellis did about how come you can't remember anything that happens in the Transformers movies? Yes. I feel like the same thing is at work here. The narrative and the visuals are telling you that everything is important, and therefore your brain has no way to sort the information and prioritize it, so it just rejects all of it. I think that's probably very accurate. There's a lot of stuff that happens. There's a lot of information that gets thrown at you. There's a lot of nonsense words and no glossary at the back of the movie. There's a freaking subplot about making bells out of clay. Everything happens so much. And yet nothing happens. This OVA is a mess. That's a kind way of putting it. Again, I think our original point had something to do with, like, literal dubs aren't actually what you want. And I guess we've probably proven that. But also, we're going to talk about this. You're going to go watch Garzy's Wing if you really want to do that to yourself. The next day, you're going to turn to your friends or turn to your cat or turn to the mirror and you're going to say, What happened again? <laughs> And you're not going to have an answer. No one will have an answer for you. Because Garzy's Wing is a blight on human memory. It will happen. Trust us. Mac, how many times have you actually watched Garzy's Wing again? I've usually watched it like 20 times. And you couldn't remember the motorcycle immediately. No. You had to be reminded of the flying motorcycle. This is what happens, folks. This is your brain on Garzy's Wing. Every once in a while, the phrase, oh, you're so easygoing, drifts through my head, and I'm never quite sure where it came from. No context. Zero. It is unmoored. And that's it. That's all you'll have of Garzy's Wing. That's all any of us ever have. I think we gotta wrap this one up so I can purge this from my brain. Kit, what's your final fact? Uh, I forgot. <laughs> Excellent. Mac, what's your final fact? If you had a convenience store, I would live with you. Annie, what's your final fact? Don't watch Garzy's Wing alone. <laughs> Use the buddy system. Should we pick a topic for next time? What even is next time? <laughs> what is time? <laughs> we can't remember what we're even supposed to do for the outro here, so I'm going to muddle through it. Join us next time when we actually have another fact for you. We'll remember what it is then. We promise. I Will Fight You comes out every three weeks, wherever you download podcasts. Uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> You're forgetting the outro, too. <laughs> Just, just go to crookedrussiancam.horse. We have a website now. Use it. Use it. We'll update you there. If you go there, you can find links to like everything that we do. You can also support us there by buying terrible merchandise from us now. We have t-shirts and like buying us Kofis. We have a Kofi now. And then there's also our Patreon. It's all on the website, please. I put it there so I don't have to remember how to do this in times of trouble. <laughs> You can learn all about, like, people who support us and who did our art and stuff on that website, and it's good. Just go to crookedrussiancam.horse. Twitter. Twitter. We have a Twitter. <laughs> it's linked on the website. It's on the website. Just go there. At CRC Podcasts. That's our Twitter handle now. All on the website. I don't know if our Twitter's on the website. Yes, it is. Go to the website, please, for me. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And I don't know. Maybe we fought you? I can't remember. <laughs>